as much as VCs, you know, we care about new logos, of course, but we care about churn just as much. And that's a huge part of, of conversations that we have in board meetings and how close you can stay to your existing customers and their pain points is that has to be your North Star. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Jessica Lin is a co-founder and general partner at Workbench, where she focuses on investments in the future of work and teams. Jess is passionate about growing and supporting women in enterprise tech, launching the Navigate Women in Enterprise Tech Summit, and the founders of enterprise startups, who are women, database. On this episode, Jess and I discussed how venture capitalists think about customer success, how customer success leaders can stand out during board meetings, and her love of Conan O'Brien. What we're talking about today, a few different things. I wanted to dig in a little bit into the VPC perspective on customer success. So to start with that, I feel like we should get a little bit more, a bit more of a background about you. Obviously, you're in venture capital. I will have done a great introduction of you before we started recording this podcast. So people have some idea. But I do want to ask you why you got into venture capital in the first place. I think there's a short answer and a longer answer. I feel very lucky to be in VC because uh, my path here was was not linear. You know, I think a lot of people look at my LinkedIn, they're like, how did you get here? <laughs> um, you know, in, in college, I actually studied Swahili oh, wow. studies. I thought I was going down this whole path in global health. And yeah, I ended up kind of making a few pivots, right? And, <laughs> a little bit. And yeah, ended up at Cisco Systems, you know, a big tech company, working with engineering teams and love that. Worked with some student startups along the way. And yeah, and then Workbench is, you know, really a dream job. You know, our motto here is that we're at the intersection of suits and hoodies. Nice. So getting to work with small, great companies like Catalyst, fast growing, and then also very, very large companies, Fortune 500s, who are recognizing that they need new software, new technology, new, new platforms to to stay ahead. Um, so it's it's the dream job, really. That's awesome. So everyone wears those like blazers that have the hoodies sewn into them behind yeah. them, so you can do that. <laughs> that has literally been the topic of so many workman conversations about getting that for swag. Uh, <laughs> you need swag, you'll actually wear those. So I don't know if anyone at workbench is uh, <laughs> not not to sh- not to crap on people that wear those, but I think uh, yeah. You can do some nice hoodies and, and leave it there. Cool. What's been like some of the recent highlights? Like what have been some of your favorite moments since getting into VC? I think it's just the constant rate of change. And I, I don't even mean that from our startups. I mean, our startups are literally, you know, leaps and bounds. Every week I catch up with at a catalyst and I feel like you, I'm like, how much you've done in one week. Some people don't even get to do, you know, in a whole year. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, what I love about VC is just how fast paced it is and, how I get to work with so many different people and ideas in different areas, right? I'm mm-hmm. constantly learning and switching between customer success to financial operations to supply chain to procurement to mental health. And there's weeks we joke at Workbench, just like by Friday, like my brain actually hurts. Yeah. From this constant learning. And just, I'm glad I scheduled this recording at 3 p.m. on a Friday. <laughs> I know, like you're really getting me at my best. But yeah, it's just, I never take that for granted. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel very lucky to be able to be constantly learning. That's like next level customer success. Because I 
That was one of the things I always said I loved about customer success is that you're doing like eight different jobs in one. You have to understand forecasting. You have to understand account management. You have to understand sales and marketing. And that's what I loved about it. But it's like you're doing that 2.0 kind of you're basically called a CSM for all the companies in your portfolio. I, I love that. That should honestly be the new tagline for VCs, right? I mean, we our customer, our portfolio companies, and we need to be doing everything possible to be making them successful. So I love that. Nice. Well, I'm going to copyright it, so too bad. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start getting psyched about customer success as a function? So a key part of our workbench model, you know, yes, we're a VC fund. We invest in enterprise startups across the country. But actually, since day one, a key part of our DNA has actually always been around community. You know, when we started seven years ago, New York City was very much ad tech, e-commerce town. There wasn't very much of an enterprise software ecosystem. And so we came in and said, you know, how can we help grow this community here in New York? And mm-hmm. so we just started by doing a ton of events, up to almost 200 a year. Whoa. And customer success was actually one such meetup that was actually quite active in our space. And, you know, in the early days, there was meetups, there were dinners, there were conferences. And I would basically sit in the back of these meetups and listen to customer success leaders talk about how hard they were working, partnering, working alongside their customers, all the different tactics and strategies that they were, you know, um, employing. And and the thing that always moved me was just, I always thought that extra thoughtful touch you could hear it in each CS leader as they were talking about their work, right? That mm-hmm. extra love and care. And, and that always just really struck me. Definitely. I think that's one of the things I've grown to love about the CS space so much is how genuine and authentic, like, and you meet any chief customer officer, VP of customer success, like they really live those values. And that is who they are. Their function is so tied to their personal values as well and helping others succeed and, and be successful. So I really love that. Yeah, I actually have an internal litmus test. I can tell when I am emailing with a customer success person because their emails are just so nice. (laughs) (laughs) This is a customer success person because they're just, you can tell the tone is just very different. And, you know, I don't mean to just say CS people are just nice for the sake of being nice, right? I I really do believe it converts and translates into a better human experience Mm -hmm. for the customer, which you know, translates into brand, into community, and, and all of that adds up. Absolutely. Um, so kind of along that same line of thinking, how you've given all the ways CS can contribute to the growth of a business, how important is customer success to VCs right now? I mean, I think it's pretty well-known Kool-Aid, right? That keeping a customer is so much more cost-efficient than bringing on a new one. And, and I think that's pretty well understood and investors and and leaders understand that. What I will say, though, I think in the time of COVID, it just became so much more acute, right? right? And we saw this, you know, left and right, you know, new sales became challenging, you know, and right. hard to go and get those new logos. And so I actually heard from so many teams that their salespeople ended up, you know, almost converting into customer success managers themselves. Oh, wow. Because the core job of everyone at the company was how do you keep your existing customers who are all struggling and all suffering during the pandemic? How are you keeping them happy? How are you keeping them successful? So um, that's why I think as much as VCs, you know, we care about new logos, of course, but we care about churn just as much. And that's a huge part of, of conversations that we have in board meetings and how close you can stay to your existing customers and their pain points is that has to be your North Star. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Going a bit further into that, do you think that that's sort of a temporary thing? Or do you think even after all of this, that 
you know, any movement that CS has made in terms of being kind of more of a central role at companies will stay? Will it kind of regress to what it was before? Where do you think it's going to go? I think it has always been at the center. And that's, you know, a huge part of why I'm an investor and catalyst for that reason. But um, I hope and believe that it will stay. A good, I think, example or experience that I've had with customer success is um, prior to co-founding Workbench, I was at Cisco Systems working with engineering teams um, as they were working through agile software transformation, you know, how they deliver and ship software. And I was so struck by some of the best performing engineering teams, what they would do was they would actually be able to go into a conference room and listen in on sales and product calls okay. and hear from an active customer, the actual feedback on their product, on their platform. The fact that I thought that was unique, you know, isn't it so funny, right? Because the reality is most engineers don't get to hear yeah. customer feedback, not directly at least, right? They yeah. don't hear the voice. They don't hear the frustration. They don't hear the joy, right? It's all usually secondhand or even thirdhand. So I've always believed the more that you can make everyone on in the organization as customer facing as possible, that's the only way you're going to win and stay ahead, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think, unfortunately, for a lot of organizations, it's just, it's just very siloed. And there, there are people who are customer-facing and there are people who are not. Yeah. Um, and I think until you democratize that, you're not going to have a customer-first organization. Definitely. And I, and I think you're right. Like it's, I think even what you said about them getting secondhand information is even a mid-tier. I feel like the baseline is they hear when things are broken. And then if they're lucky, they'll hear when things are broken and when there's a rave review. And then okay. kind of that top tier is kind of getting everything and being part of those conversations. Yeah, I think um, working with an engineering group, you know, I feel like developers, you know, they spend their nights and days building product. And I think it does bring them joy, right? Mm-hmm. Or it does bring them some fulfillment that it's being used and, and people are appreciating what they're building. So even if they're not called customer success, you know, I think every role in the organization has some sort of a desire yeah. <laughs> to know that what they're spending their days on is being appreciated by someone else. Definitely. So Workbench is all enterprise SaaS as sort of its bread and butter. So when you're looking at a new company or you have a new company in your portfolio, how early on in their journey do you recommend that they hire for customer success in a dedicated role? Because a lot of times with early companies, it's like the CEO who's also doing right. customer success or it's you know a COO or something like that. That's the usual reality we do see, right? Is that, um, and, and that's also a function of the CEO also being the first salesperson, right? Right. They are the first salesperson. They're closing the sales. They are then also making sure that the customer is successful afterwards. So I do think that's a function of that. I do think once founders start to transition away from founder-led selling into sales team-led selling, mm-hmm. then that is also when they need to, you know, again, start building out more of a process, more of a team, more of a structure, I, I suppose, more formally bringing on a customer success leader. But I'm definitely the proponent that as soon as you can bring one on rather than later, right? Because yeah. again, then if you could turn a customer, it is so much harder than again. So the more early you can invest in that, the far better. Nice. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. Just kind of, it should be one of those early hires. Uh, hard to give an exact date, right? It kind of depends on on a bunch of different factors. But the sooner it can be not someone else's third job and it can be a dedicated person. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. So one of the things I was excited to really get your, your perspective on, something I would have loved to have known back when I was 
doing customer success. <laughs> now I'm not, but for people who are currently customer success leaders who either are making slides for board presentations or maybe presenting to the board themselves, what are things that you look for? What are things that can make them really stand out to you? I think if you ask different investors at different stages, you'll have different answers. For us at this early stage, we understand that so much of what our startups are doing is experimenting. Right. Each of our startups are running as many experiments as possible to get as much data as possible to then understand how to build the best repeatable sales engine or go-to-market mm-hmm. engine. So I love that our our companies are experimenting. I actually really encourage it, right? Because mm-hmm. until you understand all these different avenues and channels, until only then will you be able to say, okay, this is a playbook. Let's go and let's grow it out and scale it out. That said, when we say experiment, we also mean the data that comes with it, right? That mm-hmm. the experiment is only as good as the data that comes with it. That's why I think this shift, not only to say, again, customer success is, is writing good emails and making people feel good, it's getting that data. And again, why I'm obviously such a huge fan of Catalyst and I think the core of what you're building, which is truly a data platform mm-hmm. where you are getting analytics and visibility into customer health and retention and churn. I mean, these are things that, you know, used to live in a Google sheet that used to maybe once a quarter, someone might look at and try to, you know, do some analysis on it. It is unlocking so much data that was not previously possible. And so going back to your question about board meetings, what I love to see is I'd love to hear one, what are the top three experiments you ran this past quarter? Mm -hmm. What came out of those experiments. And I want to see data. I want to see numbers. I want to see metrics. And then see all that ahead of time, right? To get sent to us investors ahead of the board meeting, because that allows us then at that meeting to really dive into the much richer discussion, which is, okay, well, why did these, you know, what led to these levers or what led to these drivers, right? Why why Mm -hmm. are metrics and trends the way they are? And then what are the strategies and tactics and actions we want to take from it? for this next Mm -hmm. quarter, for this next year, whatever it is. But data is really what is underlying it all. And I'm just so excited by what Catalyst can really activate and ignite and unlock. Awesome. So yeah, definitely including as much data as possible. I love the thing about adding in, you know, what experiments did you run? I think things should be phrased like that more often, just because it kind of leaves, leaves it open for failure. Like to say that, yeah, I tried launching this podcast and like three people listened to it and two were my cousins and, you know, here we are. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, maybe it, you got a lot of listeners, but maybe they weren't your target ICP and, and that's yep. fine. But if we are going to, you know, allocate budget for it, maybe we should only allocate this much versus that. You know, I think that's where you can get really creative. But until you have those data points, it's very hard to make those decisions. Definitely. But I think semantically, that's a really important difference. So I'm going to start doing that. I actually really love that. Uh, I can co-opt it for community at the same time. Yes, go for it. (laughs) So we've got uh, powerful data experiments that have been run and kind of the results of those. What about kind of looking ahead in terms of what you want to hear from them for plans of action or, you know, what gets you kind of excited about what customer success is running or what customer success is planning to do? I think so much of customer success tends to be, okay, well, these are the customers that are a high risk of churn. Yeah. Uh, and how do we how do we save that? How do we prevent that? Which is which is an important discussion to have and we should be having that at the board level. But I guess your question and what excites me is what are the creative, proactive ways that you are delighting your customer that mm-hmm. you are making their work 
so much better, so much full of joy, so much easier, et cetera, so that we, you know, we don't have as many of a, how do we save this customer kind of conversation, right? right? So I think a little bit of both. And I think there's very much, you know, half the slide is like, hey, this is the reality. We need to work on these customers. This is the other side of what we're trying to do proactively so that, right. you know, in addition, you know, not only is customer success, of course, just saving locos, but it's, it, you know, it is a key driver of a company's brand. When a customer has an amazing experience with you, it's largely because of your customer success team, right? Yeah. And if they have a great experience, it's going to be so additive to your brand. And we've seen that, you know, as consumers, I think, mm-hmm. whenever we have a great experience, we know that as a consumer, but we forget that in enterprise, you can do that too, Yeah. right? And I just, I want to remind everyone of that because I think people are like, oh, that's enterprise, but there's such an opportunity here, especially for customer success. Definitely. They're frontline. So they're representing the company every day. So there's such an opportunity there. And I love that, you know, just making sure there's always, uh, like you said, there's going to be a focus on churn and risk and all that, but definitely making space to the positive, optimistic kind of stuff as well is, is always an important thing to go a little bit away from, from board meetings, as exciting as they always are. That's a joke. They actually are quite exciting. I like them, but we're going through kind of all this crazy stuff outside of work right now. We've got civic unrest, we've got upcoming election stuff, we've got COVID-19, we've got a whole bunch of issues that are kind of adding to this climate that we're all facing at work and at home and all that kind of stuff, even though those two things are now the same thing for a lot of people working home. Have you had any sort of realizations about anything? I feel like everyone's been on some sort of journey the past six months, so curious what your experience has been. This motto of mine is, is all the more acute, right? Which is, for those who a lot is given, a lot is is asked. And so for those of us who have privilege, and that can mean lots of different things mm-hmm. in today's world, right? If you have health, yeah. you are more privileged than so many people in our country. If you know where your next meal is coming from, mm-hmm. you're so much more privileged than so many people in our country. So how do you give back? How do we use our resources, our energy, or even just our voice, right? Um, I think people forget that, that our your voice is even if it's only a room of 10, right? Like most 10 people can hear you stand up for what's right. A lot of people know outside of work, I've been teaching the, the GED to adults now for 10 years. A lot of that came to a pause during COVID. Um, I'm quite active with a lot of the BLM community here in New York right now. And yeah, and you know, last night got a bunch of friends together. We wrote a bunch of postcards to swing states. So I just nice. think there's so many avenues. And if everyone just picked one small thing and did it, then hopefully we'll be in a much different place come November. I'm seeing fingers yeah. <laughs> see my fingers being crossed, but But they are crossed. I can verify that they are crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely agree. I think it's a great point. I feel like that's a something a lot of us have faced over the last few months is kind of as we've gone through so much change is everything comes back down to those baby steps. And it's one thing like that I can do each day. And even if that's a very small thing, I know I'm definitely not the only one who put on like 15 pounds in the first two months of quarantine. I have since lost 18. So I'm back to my, I'm still good, but you know, it takes those little things doing a little bit every day. And even if that little bit is like not eating the extra piece of cake that's in the fridge, uh, that's a thing. And that counts. So I agree. I think, I mean, so many issues feel so, obviously so, so big, so heavy, so out of our control. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them are, but I, I do think there are, are small things we can control. So let's all just try to do what we can 
every day. Definitely. To close things off, I have been finishing with the same question uh, to all my my guests because uh, I want suggestions of what I should be trying to get for free. So if you were hosting a podcast and you could uh, pick any sponsor and it meant you got an unlimited supply of whatever they sell, uh, what would you pick? So I'm going to turn this really meta and I would love if Conan O'Brien's podcast sponsored me because I love Conan <laughs> O'Brien so much. Me too. And I just think it would be so funny if his podcast sponsored my podcast. I don't even know if that's a thing if podcasts by their own, I'm sure they do. At least they, they, they must, right? We'll I don't see. know. I have no idea. But if, if they do, I want to be the first one and I want it to be Conan O'Brien. So. I have loved Conan ever since. I mean, I, I always, I knew him sort of from the, not personally, but obviously from the late night, but I've been a massive Simpsons fanatic since I was like five years old and I used to compete in Simpsons trivia and like he used to write, and then when I found out he used to write like all of my favorite episodes are written by Conan O'Brien. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. And so I'm just like, I I agree. And if I can get, I mean, if I can get him on the podcast, I'll be thrilled. But even if I can get his podcast advertising, maybe I'll just give him a free ad just so I can have some sort of link. We'll team up on that one. Let's do it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jess. It's been super fun chatting with you and uh, stay healthy and we'll chat soon. Thanks so much, Ben. This is a blast. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend or two or 10. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit Catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you.